electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee, your traders for the hour. Tim Seymour, Guy Dami, Steve Grasso, and Brian Kelly. Coming up on Fast, a crude comeback fuels a big rally on Wall Street. But legendary investor Mark Mobius says don't believe today's bounce. He joins us straight ahead. Plus, a retail reckoning Macy shares tumble as the company looks to raise cash. We'll find out if any of our traders are shopping around in this name. And later, some healthy returns. We'll tell you what sent shares of J&J to new all-time highs today. But we begin with a double dose of earnings. CSX, of course, a read on the economy. Las Vegas Sands, a read on consumer-facing businesses. Both are on the move in the after-hour session. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down both of these reports. Let's kick things off with CSX touching after-hours highs with the call now underway. Let's get to Frank Holland with the details. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. Shares of CSX up more than a percent and a half after reporting revenues in line and a six-cent beat on EPS. But the biggest headline, the East Coast Rail pulling full-year EPS guidance, something we've seen from another of the, a number of other companies and one of its competitors, Union Pacific. On that call, CEO Jim Foote says production demand was just simply too hard to forecast in this COVID-19 environment. Also during the call, CFO Kevin Boone said the company recently raised $500 million in debt, and despite pulling guidance, the company believes it is in position for a potential recovery and is maintaining a strong cash reserve. Our liquidity position is extremely strong, with nearly $2.5 billion of cash and short-term investments at the end of March. This represents multiples of what we would consider normal targeted cash levels. All right, cash may be strong, but volumes were weaker over weaker year over year to start Q2. The COVID-19 impact on CSX is already being seen in the three weeks since the first quarter ended with double digit declines each week. Now, on the other side, CEO Jim Foote, he's really praised the railroaders for their ability to work during these conditions and keep critical goods flowing on the rail. The company also set a new efficiency metric for the first quarter. But I think right now, Melissa, it's all eyes on Q2. Back over to you. All right, Frank. Thank you, Frank Holland. Um, Guy, I will start off with you. How long have we been doing this show? A long time. 13 years. <laughs> actually, 13, longer than that. Longer no, than that. Longer than that. Years. Have we ever started a show with CSX earnings? No. Not that I can recall, no, that, Melissa. Lane. But you know no. why? You but know course, why they're you know, so. At my age, I don't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> well, why they're so interesting this time around is what they're going to be saying about the economy and how, how they weathered this past quarter. And what they have in common with a lot of the other railroads going into this particularly, uh, you know, tough environment is that they've already cut costs. They've cut labor. They've gone down on fuel costs. They've, they've gotten lean ahead of the pandemic. Yeah, and they've actually, you at all the railroads, CSX specifically, but they're running these railroads so more efficiently than they were even three or four years ago. I mean, Steve Grosser could probably speak to this, but in a lot of ways, these railroads have become technology plays, believe it or not. So the efficiencies you're seeing is all on the back of the technology that they've spent a lot of money implementing. In terms of the stock, understanding that all these companies are going to pull guidance out of the major railroad, on ter- in terms of multiple, it's probably the cheapest. I think it still has room to the upside, but if you want to play stock market here, if it were to get to 64, that's a sort of a 50% retracement of the recent high 
and obviously that trough low we saw a few weeks ago. So although I think it was, it was a really wonderful quarter despite what's going on, understanding that they're pulling guidance, you know, I think if it gets to 64, you pull the ripcord and live to fight another day, Melms. Operating margins were the best on record for the company. Expenses were down 7% year on year. Steve Grasso, if you are to believe that some sort of recovery is around the corner, is this the first place you want to be? One of the first places you want to be? A place you want to be at all? The, yeah, these, these <laughs> places, this, this segment of the economy, they actually lead to your point. So they're going to lead the first on the way down. So as you said in the introductory, they already cut. They've already established where this economy was going. So you're going to see your first signs of life in this segment of the economy, in the, in the transportation segment. I would go with CSX if I was forced to choose, but I'd rather be in UPS. UPS is great at shipping bulk. FedEx is, is not so great. They ship parcels better. But if you're going to see a real leading indicator, you could see it with the rails. But if you want to make some money early, UPS is probably your best transport to buy. I like Rasa pulling out the self, would you rather, five minutes into the show. That's strong, <laughs> BK. Where do you go here? Yeah, so, I mean, I think CXS is interesting, not just because it's going to be a leading indicator, but you're going to get a read on what inventories are like and how when inventories normalize, right? We know we had this huge sur surge as people started to hoard goods into it, but now inventories are normalizing. So you watch CSX, you watch CSX for a couple different reasons. They have intermodal, which means you're going to kind of get a read on what's going on with the trucking sector as well, as well as the shipping sector. Plus, they have that export coal sector, which is really important to get a read on what the global economy is doing. So, you know, no surprise they pulled guidance. I think every CEO in the world should do that. But I think this is the place you watch. You see CXX leading the market. That's going to make you more bullish. Intermodal was weak. No surprise. Automotive was weak. No surprise, Tim. Um, so, so how are you feeling about CSX? And, and if this is any sort of a read through of what we're seeing in the, in the broader economy? Well, to, to, to echo some of the sentiments, the most important things for me investing in shipping companies right now are finding the best balance sheets and the best cost efficiencies, which we've talked about with CSX, puts you in a pretty good spot. Um, in terms of the, the relative performance to the market, um, you can make an argument that actually a couple of these shippers have really underperformed this snapback in the markets. Remember, CSX was an $80 stock going into this trade all the way down around $47 uh, before snapping back. Um, valuation on a trailing basis looks pretty attractive. Question is, what are they going to do going forward? I, I, I do think for investors that are looking for those stocks that they say out one to two years, uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a medium to long-term investor. Um, the best of breed rails are certainly making sense, and I think CSX is one of those names. Open-ended question, Guy. Favorite transport right here, right now. Uh-oh. Open-ended question, favorite. Well, as you know, Melissa Lee, I actually spent a day working at UPS, so I would <laughs> echo some of Steve Grasso's uh, sentiment, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not looking. I, I don't think the, the shippers are really where you want to be. They've all had pretty significant runs off these lows we made. And I still think the market probably stops here at the 2800 level. So if you're forcing me to choose, which you did, UPS, but I say that she did. Uh, with she a did. serious. Actually, actually I grain asked of salt. you an open ended question. I didn't force you to do anything, but if you want to choose, you choose, and you just, that's <laughs> oh, exactly what you sorry. did. I'm going to move on now. We got to hit gaming giant Las Vegas Sands, uh, hitting after our session highs with the call now underway. Let's get to Contessa Brewer with all the details. Contessa. 
Melissa, good to see you. In gaming, of course, investors pay very close attention to the property EBITDA. That's the earnings before interest and taxes and et cetera. In Macau, which was the first of the properties to close and has already reopened, that EBITDA number down 92% from last year. And also they're burning $305 million in operating expenses monthly. Chairman and CEO Sheldon Allison says the impact of the pandemic is unprecedented, that he's never seen anything like it in his more than 70 years in business. And yet he remains optimistic things will turn around and soon. I assure you, I have not said yay dividends and yay buybacks for the last time. I'm looking forward to saying them again and hopefully very soon. He says, in fact, as soon as things turn around, he's going to get back with the board and they're going to revisit the whole issue of dividends. Here's some more good news. Las Vegas Sands has a strong balance sheet, $2.6 billion in cash, access to almost $4 billion in credit. So it's paying its employees globally. It's continuing with its capital expenditures in Macau and Singapore. And they're anticipating a, quote, I'm quoting here, much better place in China this summer, they say far better than the U.S. They're looking at a phase reopening in China, perhaps Guangdong, which is a big feeder into Macau. And that may be why you're seeing the stock now up in extended trading, um, such a big jump as the call continues here, Melissa. All right, Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer with the latest on LVS, which is up 6.7% after hours. Steve Grasso, is this uh, best mm. in breed compared to a win, compared to an MGM? So this has always been my favorite uh, uh, Vegas, I shouldn't say Vegas stock, it's, it's, a, uh, it's just a gambling sector stock and it's more weighted to Macau. But what this has that the others do not have is what Contessa just said, the Singapore revenue stream. The others don't get that. And by the way, Las Vegas by market cap is multiples higher than MGM and Wynn. So that would make it best in breed. I would guess if you're playing along at the home game for fast money, it's always been my, my favorite. But if you look at the charts, the charts say that MGM and Wynn are a better buy. But Las Vegas seems to be the, the uh, special one in the sector. I'd still be a buyer of LVS. You got to wonder, though, if the Singapore exposure, while a good thing right at this moment in time, maybe a bad thing since they're seeing their, the number of COVID cases rise as we speak here. Um, you got to give props to Nomura here because last week they actually upgraded LVS, Tim, ahead of the quarter to a buy rating saying that they expect Macau trends to be, begin normalizing at the beginning of June, which is basically right around the corner here. I mean, can we make that extrapolation then for some of the other names that are more exposed to China? Yeah, look, I, I think you can. I think the, the Macau trends are, are obviously, remember, we started getting this Macau data uh, in, in really November uh, into, into December. But before that, we were actually seeing gross gaming revenue begin to, to reaccelerate into the holiday season. I, look, I, I think Vegas Sands also, uh, yes, you can impute it into the guys that have even more exposure. Um, but the one who's chopped its dividend and the one who seemingly has made prudent steps to actually manage uh, free cash flow and balance sheet, I, I think is the one uh, you feel more comfortable about. 
in an environment like this. But um, when when COVID-19 broke out, I remember saying this, Mel, and you were probably uh, at home with two very cute ones. I, I was saying, I think we've got a, a dynamic where we don't have a consumer credit problem. We have a short term disruption. I, I've certainly had to make an adjustment in that view. And I think a lot of people have. But ultimately, uh, the case here for a re- recovery, what we've already seen in other parts of the economy, look at Taiwan, Sammy, look at other parts of Asia for those economies that didn't fully shut down. And you have to be encouraged at some of these early signs, even though we know this is not going to be a straight line back higher. Yeah, I mean, I ask myself the question very often, guys, you know, what is the first thing I'm going to go out and do when things, quote unquote, open up? Hopping on a plane to Las Vegas (laughs) may not be among the the top five or the top 10 or the top. Maybe it was never in the top five. Certainly not in the top 20 anymore, BK. Yeah, I mean, listen, sold to all of you. I, I you know, Singapore has shut down again because, they, because they've because they got more cases. You look at what happened in Beijing last week. They opened up their gyms. All of a sudden, they had an explosion of cases, and they had to close them down again. So I think this is going to be what's happening in this economy. It's going to be fits and starts. And the absolute last thing that I want to buy in this market, I, well, actually, the last thing I want to buy is cruise ships. The second to last thing I want to buy is casinos. Guy, <laughs> last word. Well, hopefully, hopefully you've used this time to watch The Godfather and maybe you learned something about the casino business, Melms. But what I will say is I'll take the other side of BK and say I think Wynn Resorts could probably still go higher. I said it last week, and I think it could sort of continue to levitate into earnings at the end of the month. I think Citi just upgraded the stock, lowered their price target to 107. I don't think it's going there, but I think this is a stock that could easily trade 85 into earnings. So... I think when will get you done, and I would use, again, the time you have at home to embrace both Godfather 1 and 2. Yeah, Back to I, you. I have nothing else to do at home. Nothing else to do. <laughs> Coming up, yeah. sounding the alarm, legendary <laughs> investor Mark Mobius is with us. Why he says there may be more pain ahead for investors. And later, the race against time for retail. We'll tell you what sent shares of Macy's tumbling today. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude clawing back today, rallying about 20 percent. But the energy market is still down big this year as a coronavirus spread stalls global demand. So what can be ahead for this commodity? Tim, are, are you are you in oil at all right now? Do you dare dip your toe in there? I, I, I 
I own a couple of the integrated uh, Chevron. I own some Schlumberger. Um, I'm, I'm of the view that the kind of price action we saw this week is the kind that makes a bottom. I, I recognize all of the obvious supply issues, all of the, all the storage issues, um, the demand cuts that are going to be difficult and more difficult to, to, to work off from the supply going into the second and third quarter is something we will see. Aggregate oil demand is going higher by the end of the year. And I think this is a great long-term opportunity with the best of breed. But I want to be specific. The price action you saw this week convinces you of a bottom in the equities or in the commodity? Well, I think in the commodity um, and I think in the equities, I'm not going to, you know, it's very difficult to make proclamations about have we seen the bottom on almost anything in this environment. But uh, I can tell you the energy equities traded fantastic this week. And if you look at the outperformance of the XLE, you can make an argument uh, even off the bottom of equities on March 13th uh, that it's outperformed. But but we've we've gotten a little bit more insight. We've gotten insight into those integrated names like BP who might have to cut the dividend uh, and others who I don't think. And we've had that discussion all week, so I won't belabor that one. Slumberger, Baker Hughes this morning. Uh, you got a sense of where free cash flow was. You got a sense of where CapEx uh, and OpEx efficiencies are. And um, I think for, for longer term investors, uh, there's, there's an opportunity here. And, and I think you don't have to dive in. But uh, as again, those are stocks that I've been nibbling at. BK, you look like you're, you're, you're being thoughtful about what Tim is saying. So what are you thinking? What's in that noggin of yours? Well, so, I mean, I, I think what you saw this week in oil, or at least today in particular, is from the president, the strategy to get prices higher in the commodity. Uh, You start to blame Iran, you start to provoke that, people get concerned that there might be a war in the Middle East, and your short sellers disappear. So that's step number one. Let's hope it doesn't escalate and we don't get some kind of miscalculation going on. But I think that's the strategy. So to Tim's point, you know, I think you're starting to see the signs that a bottom comes here. That being said, we know that in Texas, in West Texas, particular because it's Cushing, the WTI, it's Cushing, Oklahoma, that is landlocked. You can't get that oil out anywhere. So you may see some at the June expiration, some fireworks again. But in general, if I look at the world price, which is the Brent crude price, I think you're looking at possibly a bottoming type of action here. Huh. Well, then, Guy Dami, does that, that tell me that Tim may be right in terms of finding some sort of floor in those energy equities. You have to be encouraged by the fact that, you know, June crude got walloped yesterday. The broader market got walloped yesterday. And as Tim pointed out yesterday, the the energy stocks did reasonably well, if not very well. To BK's point, I 100 percent agree that President Trump's tweet was absolutely aimed at the commodity market more so than Uh, our foes. And I think for a day, at least, that was successful. So I think you have to take some encouragement of the fact that, you know, crude got smacked yesterday, market got smacked yesterday, but these energy equities did pretty well. So maybe yesterday's a good level in terms of a lot of these stocks to trade against as a stop. So yes. See Grasso in the oil patch, where are you? You got to be in the stocks, you got to be in the equities and and specifically in the E&P companies exploration and production companies. These are the companies that won't be allowed to fail. I can't speak to the overall commodity. They used to say your risk was down to zero. That no longer applies. You can go less than zero. But when you look at these companies, EQT is up 30% year to date. COG is up 19% year to date. The charts are unbelievable. Stay with the equities. Stay with the E&P companies. That's where you're going to make the money. 
Is that a reason? I mean, is that a reason to invest in them that you believe that there's going to be a government backstop behind these industries? Because there are a lot of other industries well, getting backstopped I, I, that don't yeah, look that I, great. I, I agree with you. And, and yes, to a large extent, when you look at these equities, they're relying on government intervention on a lot of different levels, whether it's supply demand levels or whether it's actual bailouts where they're going to get paid not to pump. So longer term, to answer your question, I don't like this space, but if you're going to give me this, this deal right now where I can be paid not to produce and to cut back, then I'm going to use that as a reason why the stock's up 30%. So profits are agnostic at this point. Longer term, you have a multitude of problems and headwinds for the oil sector. Disagree, Tim? Uh, I don't disagree. I, I just want to say this. Uh, seeing government support oil prices is the wrong thing. Uh, that, that actually concerns me. I want to, I want to get uh, all the damage on the table. I want to see shut-ins. I don't want to support the oil price, uh, and I certainly don't want to job on it. Um, what we're getting to a place here is obviously the supply dynamics. The spigot has to be cut off or will be shut off, uh, and that's very good for oil prices. Again, it's the price action this week, but it's the action in the market this week. Uh, this is the kind of news you need to see. I, I don't want to see uh, people funding bad balance sheets and keeping bad companies alive. It's not about uh, protecting American industry. Of course, we want to do that, but I think you have to be careful. All right. Let's bring in now legendary investor Mark Mobius, founding partner of Mobius Capital Partners. Mark, you're joining us in the midst of a conversation about crude oil, and I'm, I'm wondering where you stand on this commodity and whether or not we've seen some sort of a floor and if equities will seemingly continue to take their cues, at least in the short term, from crude. Well, I personally have made a bet that uh, this low price will not last. I mean, as soon as this, uh, say, the middle of this year or later this year, I think the oil prices will recover. So I've actually made a bet on that. Um, but for emerging markets, it's wonderful. The fact that you have these low oil prices is very good for these countries that are importing oil, like China, India, Turkey. You go down the list, it's very, very good news. And you notice that China is stocking up, they're filling up. I think their reserves uh, are now filled up 70 percent of their storage capacity, and I think they'll fill that up more. So is, it's good news generally. Is that enough of a reason to be interested in emerging market equities? Oh, that's one reason. But the other interesting thing, it's amazing. I've just been doing some numbers, and from the peak to the lowest point on this bear market, uh, S&P 500 was down about 28 percent. MSCI Emerging Markets Index about 29%. So the difference was amazing to me because I figured that emerging markets would be hit more, you know. Now, there's been a recovery from the low, as you've seen, 15% roughly for S&P, 10% for MSCI Emerging Markets. But generally speaking, the declines for S&P have been about 20% to where we are now and about 23% for emerging markets. So the difference is not significant. But the, the big difference, of course, is that there are many more bargains in emerging markets now because some of the companies, of course, have gone down by 60, 70, 80 percent from their peaks. So there's great opportunity. Uh, is there one name in particular that uh, is catching your eye that we, should, we can be watching, that, that people at home could be trading? Well, I think because uh, these emerging market stocks are sure. not traded in the U.S., so it's very difficult to get them. But if you look at our portfolio, uh, again, uh, this is not a recommendation. I mean, 
I, I, we don't know whether we'll be selling or buying, but uh, Yum, for example, is listed in China. It's a Chinese branch, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, that's one name we have in the portfolio. Uh, but generally speaking, we're looking at these uh, emerging market uh, retail companies that are taking advantage of the Internet and trying new things in terms of delivery and so forth. That's really where the story is now. Mark, great to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Mark Mobius, Mobius Capital. Tim Seymour, I go to you. Yum C, um, you know, yep. Alibaba. Those are the types of names that it sounds like Mark is talking right. about. Well, Mark is talking about the consumption uh, demographic dynamic in emerging mm-hmm. markets that also as an EM veteran, we've been investing in for a long time. And, and, and so, yes, uh, look, Alibaba has been very defensive throughout uh, a lot of this crisis, and I think it will continue to be. We talked about their investment in cloud. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the earnings to, you know, to the growth ratio. The peg ratio is very strong. How about a Mercado Libre in Latin America? How about a Yandex in Russia? Uh, how about different ways in which the consumer is either playing uh, some type of, of uh, online or e-commerce or cloud? Uh, or you know, essentially online media, these are ways to get exposure to the EM consumer. That's how you're going to outperform in emerging markets, because if you're following the index, it's making 10-year lows and has, uh, you know, and probably will continue to. Mark had mentioned the tailwind that some economies could get from this lower crude price. Uh, BK, I know you're worried about Japan. This theoretically should be great for Japan, which imports all of its energy, right? But not right. enough. Right. Yeah, so that, that's a tailwind for Japan, it's a tailwind for China, and I think that's the really important thing that Mark pointed out, is that you have to, in this environment, really know your emerging market. You can't just blanket go say, hey, I'm going to buy emerging markets, because some of these countries are going to be losers. Some of these countries need revenue from commodities which have cratered. So, you know, I think it's helpful to Japan, but just like when the oil price fell here in the U.S., that's great. Gas prices are low. But if you're not driving anywhere, who cares? Good point there. Coming up, the clock may be ticking for Macy's, but can the embattled retailer make the right moves to stay afloat? We'll dive in. And later, we are fast tracking the data, the two charts that may tell the story of what is in store for us when the coronavirus threat subsides. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Macy's falling 7.6% today on news. The company is looking to raise as much as $5 billion in debt to ride out the coronavirus pandemic and avoid bankruptcy. And the clock may be ticking for Macy's as well as other retailers. Cowan estimates that Macy's has got only four months left before it runs out of cash, while Kohl's, Nordstrom, JCPenney may only have a few months more than that before they're tapped out. So, Guy, this seems like a, a race against time for the retailers. But if we flip the switch... And we open tomorrow. Would that change your mind? Mm-hmm. In terms of Macy's, no, I, because of the trajectory for Macy's prior to this coronavirus was this direction. Now, maybe we got here faster. Obviously, we probably did. But this just sort of sped up the process, unfortunately. So, no, five billion dollars, by the way, for Macy's is not an insignificant number at all. That's a staggering number. The only reason I think to buy Macy's here is you're hoping for a short covering rally into earnings in the beginning of the May. Short of that, I don't see any compelling reason to go plowing into letter M at these levels. I mean, the market capitalization of Macy's is is a fraction of that, right, Tim? A fraction of $5 billion yeah. at this yeah. point. Yeah, it's one in 1.6 billion, I think, something like that today. And, and you know, I think the, if you look at the sum of the parts you know, and you start to weigh some of these dynamics in terms of the asset base, Herald Square is probably worth as much as the asset class. They've got about five and a half billion dollars of debt today before they do a raise. So that's that's how investors are, are, are doing their calculus right now. All right. Let's bring in Oliver Chen, the senior retail analyst over at Cowan. Oliver, great to speak with you. And you put together that report outlining the various, uh, you know, number of months that each retailer might have in terms of liquidity. And you're also concerned about some other retailers that might be um, in position to trip their covenant. So if you were to formulate a list of sort of like the, the, the poster children of troubled retailers, who would be out there? Well, unfortunately, we are cautiously optimistic, but What's happening here is the mall is in trouble. Um, we're looking at mall retailers at much more at risk. I think JCPenney's as well. We're watching that. We think Macy's and the liquidity needs. Working capital is a key need. So these retailers are both delaying the accounts payable. They'll also need to purchase goods for the important fall season. And so what we're looking at is really a disruption in consumer confidence and also a transformation. At the same time, we've had a lot of problems in the mall and mall traffic has been negative. So store closures, co-tenancies, these debt covenants, they're all key risk factors. Um, that being said, you know, China's starting to see some brighter spots. So the consumer is still there. And as we survey consumers, they will come back to retail stores at some point. It's just we're watching consumer confidence. We're watching unemployment and this transformation happening with curbside pickup, social distancing. These are all huge factors. Also, unemployment rate. So a lot of variables, but you also don't want to forget Macy's has about $5 billion of real estate, and they also have credit card cash flow of about $500 million. So those are some underlying assets to consider uh, in this distressed situation. I mean, it's important to look at the balance sheets, Oliver, but as you had said, it, it's all about the consumer and their ability to continue spending. So let's, let's say things remain shut down almost through the summer, and we're pretty much at back to school almost near the holiday season, shopping season, consumers aren't feeling that much better. Unemployment is not improving too much. How do you then foresee the future for some of these department store uh, retailers? It'll be very problematic because about 34% of the EBITDA is fourth quarter, and the months get very critical. 
critical, especially back to school, August. School is transforming. So what happens with teen retail? What happens with denim and those needs? And then the holiday selling period is where retailers make all their money. So these capital raises are, are really essential. And there's no doubt we'll have filings and we'll have bankruptcies and that will spiral. Um, as we get closer to July, August, um, these are big issues. The other big issue is what if we have openings and closings? That is going to be extremely painful because clothing and apparel is a lot like food. It really expires quickly, uh, and that'll be very disruptive to manage as well. And keep in mind, on the other side of this, tons of promotions. So we're recommending Costco. We're recommending Target. We're recommending Walmart. And we also think beauty. Beauty's been a resilient trend. So beauty's been essential for some customers. And so the online trends at retailers like Ulta, that being off-mall, are, are more positively positioned. I saw your note about Ulta, I think it was last week or so, and, and their balance sheet was surprisingly strong. Yeah, it's, it's in a good position, Ulta. I think, furthermore, the online trends even accelerating as people really think about skincare, hair care at home, and, and the essentials that you need in beauty. Um, and that's a great long-term business model with a very good loyalty program, a very good online interface, and mass plus prestige it's a concept for the future for the long term. And furthermore, it's off mall. So we're generally much more positive on off mall. And keep in mind, as we look at this event happening, there'll be market share gains with pain. So JCPenney has lots of beauty. Macy's has lots of beauty. And it's been tougher for them. Mm. A player like Ulta can gain share. And beauty has been a resilient industry. As you think about uh, the recession, how do you play stocks in the recession? The lipstick effect. Right. And really uh, thinking about lower access price points as well. So there's a thesis there in terms of being interested in that name in the recession and the context of the recession. And that's something we're thinking about for clients and investing as well. Oliver, thank you. Oliver Chen of Cowan & Company. Uh, Grasso, you like to go for best of breed here. Yeah, so Costco and Walmart are best in breed uh, in this space. And so just think about it. Costco has built its world around bulk buying way before coronavirus. And I think that people's behavior has changed. And I don't think they're going to stop bulk buying after we even come out of this. And then you get the kicker of the membership rates and the renewal rates on membership are off the charts. It's an annuity with Costco. Walmart, I, I would like to be there as well. It's up 10% year to date for all the obvious reasons. They're very strong e-commerce. So I don't think you can go wrong either way. The other one that's been thrown out, though, Target, down 16% year-to-date. Maybe you could bottom fish a little bit there because I think they're a strong brand. They will survive. But all of these names, you want to think about who's going to be best coming out of this and whose behavior is not going to change. And I'm going to throw one more in there. Amazon, we think about it as the everything stock, but think about Amazon Pantry. How many people are getting stuff on a regular basis, delivered monthly now, that never did that before, me included, and they're not going to cancel that. You have Prime Video, you have Prime Music, that's all shelter-in-place stuff. And don't forget, AWS was the original catalyst to the Amazon story. Cloud is more important than ever with shelter-in-place. I feel like if you open that door that's behind Grosso, you're going to find dozens of rolls of toilet paper <laughs> talking about bulk buying. Guy, Guy Adami, when, when we say best in breed, we're talking about the ones that have held up, though, like a Walmart, which is basically at highs. So how do you wrap your head around valuation there? Well, 
You can't. I mean, that's been that's been my concern all along about Walmart. It's just it's just expensive. And what I've said for a while, incorrectly, correctly, that if you like Walmart at its valuation, you got to love Target. I mean, I find Ulta interesting because, you know, people like me are going to flock there for our Grecian Formula 17 or whatever we use for the little grays we get during these times, as you know, Melms. But in terms of best of breed. Is that the one just for men? I don't know, the one yeah. you comb in. Oh, whatever. I don't, I don't have any, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I, you could tell that, obviously, I haven't used it in quite some time. But what I will tell you is, and something we've been steadfast, and if you recall the game we used to play of, uh, what's that thing we called that, the power pitch? Many moons ago, we talked about this little company called Dollar General, and that sucker continues to go higher. So... If you want to be in retail, I think DG is the one that gets you done. It's fast Mel. pitch, by the way. Fast pitch for fast money. Anyway, coming yeah. up, <laughs> our call right. of the day. We'll tell you what J and J strategy one, what J and J strategy one analyst calls a masterstroke, and later a massive comeback in the semi space as today's surge signal more strength for the sector. We'll look for some answers when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Johnson & Johnson getting a boost today. Analysts at Bank of America upgrading the stock to a buy, saying defensive names should fare best in this unprecedented environment. They also point out that J&J has outperformed the S&P 500 during the last two recessions by 20% or more and should do so again this time around. Tim, it was interesting because just last night, final trade was take profits <laughs> in this name, which, by the way, hit a new high in today's session. Yes, that's true. Uh, it was also my my power pitch, fast pitch, whatever we're calling that game, uh, you know, back earlier in last year. And I, I, I like J&J. I actually think this is a great company. The fact that it's a defensive company and historically, especially in recessionary times, you own names like this. I, I get that report. Uh, the reality is that J&J in their Q1 actually gave uh, V-shaped recovery guidance. The stock's done a V-shaped recovery. So uh, w- when, when we talked about it last year, it was trading at about a 15 to 18 percent discount to the S&P multi. It's closed that gap. You can make an argument it trades at a small premium. That's my argument. My argument is I want to own this company a bit cheaper uh, and that despite you know, what we know is a pretty decent environment for, for pharma, uh, certainly medical devices we'll see. Um, I think there are other risks for the company that I don't know that are material, but I don't see how this company uh, is going to lose you to the upside. And therefore, my taking profits last night, I stand by. For pharma as a whole, though, one convenient side effect of, of the whole pandemic, if there is an upside to pandemic, and of course there isn't, but, but for the pharma industry at least, it sort of removed the attention from pricing pressure. That, that's gone by the wayside. We are thankful now that these pharma companies, big pharma and biotech companies, are working so hard to find vaccines, cures, etc., that all of that uh, pricing pressure talk, that's all out the window, Grasso. Yeah, I I think that was the biggest tailwind that I take away from this space where uh, uh, J&J's pharma unit is getting hundreds of millions of dollars to work on vaccines, hundreds of millions of dollars to work on therapies. We are throwing money as a government, throwing money at any company that could put anything together that could do anything to battle this virus. So gone are those days, at least for now. We know that D.C. has a short memory. But at least for now, we're not dealing with pricing concerns until somebody screws up on the pharma side. Having said that, 155 running into tremendous uh, um, uh, problem in the charts for me, resistance. It, when I look at the chart in JNJ, 
To Tim's point, it looks like the recovery was already front-loaded. So somebody already bought this thing worrying about a recession that was going to take place that was a forced recession. So it could be front-loaded already, but without that worry where you led into this question with me about pricing concerns, you might have a little bit of juice left in the tank. And then don't discount when you start to see any more positive headlines on therapies and vaccines moving forward, this space and the entire biotech space, biotech and pharma right down the line, we'll see their next spike in price as well. That's when you could sell them completely. All right, up next, we are fast tracking the data, the two charts that give us an idea of what might be in store on the other side of the coronavirus pandemic. And do not miss our special coverage of markets and turmoil. That is coming up tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. We will be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the coronavirus pandemic continues to spread across the U.S., we're introducing a new segment called Fast Track, where we track and trade the data to show what life might look like on the other side. Uh, BK flagged some data out of China today. So uh, why don't you walk us through this? This is really interesting, BK. Yeah, so, you know, we're all trying to get an edge on what does life look like? And for our, our purposes, what does the economy look like on the other side? How are people going to react? So TomTom, Tom, the GPS company, does traffic indices. They do them for every city out there. And so this is for Wuhan, which was the center of the outbreak. And you look at what it was like in 2019. That's in orange. And in blue is what it's like today. And what you see is weekday traffic down about 21%. But on the weekend, it's absolutely flatline. So if we kind of project that and say, well, maybe that's how people are going to behave here in the U.S., they're going to go to work Monday through Friday. But on the weekend, they're still going to hunker and hunker in place, stay in place. And maybe that's what the world looks like going forward. Tim, how would you trade this data? Because it, it, you can go a couple ways. You can do the extrapolation to the United States, which is what BK is doing, or you can do the extrapolation to the Chinese consumer. And you may think that maybe the Chinese consumer, while they are coming back, there isn't that sort of return to quote unquote normal yet in China. Yeah, and I think the Chinese consumer arguably has a little potentially a little bit more of a tailwind from stimulus came into this a little bit weaker. Um, and and uh, but at the same time, we also have Chinese macro data. It, we're, we're a couple weeks away again from getting another. Uh, we're going to get April PMIs, but we're going to get April import exports. And those numbers that we got a couple weeks ago were very encouraging, especially on imports, showing that the consumer, they were effectively flat uh, on, on March. And so that is very encouraging for the economy that obviously was the first to go down. Um, I think these are interesting, but, but we're questioning throughout the world whether there's going to be some boomerang effect or some unfortunate return of, of sickness and, and the news flow over the last couple of days. So it doesn't really tell you uh, how we're going to respond to you know, wave two if, in fact, that unfortunate error happens. Or maybe at least it tells us that, that there's going to be a tepid, a cautious response, Guy Adami, and that when things do open up, let's say, you know, Las Vegas, for instance, when CEO is urging, uh, you know, the country, the state, the governor, the mayor, whoever who will listen to him to reopen the strip there. But if they reopen, will people come? And I think that's the question here. You reopen the economy. Who's going to go? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it can open anything they want, but if nobody wants to go, it, it's not going to really help. Quickly, I'll say this. You know, it's not coincidentally that the market today, the S&P, closed at a spot-on 50% retracement of the recent loan, the all-time high, as did at 276, did Apple, which is probably a lot of what this report 
was focused on. So if you're in the bull camp, we're making a base. If you're in the bear camp that we've run too much, you take profits here. I tend to be in the take profits here camp, Mel. All right, here's the next chart we're fast-tracking. Morgan Stanley putting in a note today, highlighting the air quality of four major manufacturing cities in China. Now, according to the report, cities like Zhengzhou, which is home to key Apple manufacturer Foxconn, are seeing seasonally high levels of nitrogen dioxide, which suggests that production may be picking up and Apple's embattled supply chain could be on the road to recovery. Steve Grasso, do you take heart from this air quality chart? Yeah, I'm always a skeptic of all this information, but I guess too much information is better than no information at all. And and Apple was one of those that we thought would be the first ones to get back to work. So I do take heart in it. And to Guy's point, that 275 level in Apple is also the 50-day moving average. So if you're go, I'm long Apple from much lower as many of the viewers are. I'm staying long Apple. If you want to use this to add money, then use the 275 level. But think about something else. Services business is going to have a huge tailwind with shelter in place. Right now, it's at $46 billion. If you want to buy Apple, if you want to buy Best in Brand, you, uh, you've, you've talked to me about that in a number of other sectors. Apple is best in breed. Apple has the brand. Apple also has 5G, added the wind at its back. It also has the cloud. It has the $46 billion. It's not going anywhere. It's got a cash hoard. So if you are looking out on the horizon on companies that you want to invest in that are going to be around, Apple is at the top of that list. All right. Coming up, Intel on deck to report earnings tomorrow. What are the options markets pricing in? We'll have that trade up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We will learn a whole lot more about the state of the semiconductors when Intel reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. That stock broke into positive territory for the year in today's session. One trader in the options market is betting tomorrow's report could pave the way for a double-digit summer surge. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Intel traded about two times as many calls as puts today, and the options market is implying a move of about 6.6%. That compares to about the 5.5%. It has averaged over the last eight quarters, given the environment we're in. Maybe that's only a very modest increase in anticipated volatility. The trade that I was looking at that I found interesting was the July 50-70 risk reversal. In this trade, the trader sold the 50 puts a 1,000 times and then bought a 1,000 of the 70 strike calls and collected about 80 cents a share to do it. In this trade, they're collecting about 1.3% of the current stock price and yield between now and July expiration. Worst case, if the stock falls, they're going to own it at 50 bucks a share, which is only modestly higher than the lows that we saw recently. And I can understand why you wouldn't want to buy the stock up over 33% since then. But, of course, they're getting near-term appreciation and will really see profits if the stock goes above that higher $70 strike price by July expiration three months from now. All right. Thank you, Mike, for that. Check out the semis, in fact, surging almost 6% in today's rally. Um, Tim? You would say that semis are leading economic indicator, right? This could be a great sign, but do you buy into that? 
We certainly have a tremendous recovery off of yesterday's technical breakdown. Um, I, I just think, you know, with Intel, uh, they have the best exposure to at least the part of uh, data center, et cetera, that's most insulated here. Uh, they tend to be very conservative on guidance. But uh, every time we expected semis in the fall in the worst of the trade war dialogue uh, to be under pressure, they, they, they really outperformed through this. Uh, we've gotten good guidance from an order book on Taiwan semi, et cetera. So uh, I remain constructive, not negative. Guy Adami, how do you feel about Intel going into tomorrow? Cheap on valuation. It was, it was cheap on valuation. It was racing ahead of all this nonsense. Uh, I think it was trading 69. It wouldn't surprise me to see it back there post-earnings on the Mike Co. commentary. All right. For more options action and more Mike Co. commentary, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. For the final trade, we go around the horn. Brian Kelly. This one's going to be a strange one coming for me, but I think Boeing might be the place to get in right here. BKN. Wow, I had to do a double take. BKN, <laughs> Boeing. All right, Grasso. West Rock. Right now, it's a cyclical comeback. If the market does this V-shaped bottom, it's a stock that's been under pressure. If the cyclicals will pull us out of this if the economy is strong. West Rock, WRK. Tim Seymour. A funny thing has happened to the financials the last few quarters. They reported, they reported, and they went down. They started to pick back up as people understood the data in the context of the global economy. More the case now, J.P. Morgan. Guy Adami. That's sunny out. It's such a such a lovely day. I and can it's see so that nice out your window. You back. And you know, t- you can see. PSX, Mel. Tim Seymour has got me thinking. Phillips 66. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.